Hello, and welcome to another episode of All The Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. I'm your host, Chris Hutchins, and today we're gonna run through all the different ways that you can save money when booking flights. Now, I think we might skip a few of the basics, like checking nearby airports or looking at different dates, but we are going to cover everything else. That includes points, including a rundown of our favorite tools to search for availability, hidden city ticketing, VPN arbitrage, consolidator fares, buddy passes, and so much more, including a peek behind the scenes of the secret world of buying and selling points and miles. And here to join me for this conversation is Zach Resnick, who is an absolute expert at finding the best flight deals. He's the founder of Fly Flat, an amazing site focused on finding discount premium cabin flights. I am pretty sure that most of you will end up saving money from this episode, and if so, please reach out and let me know how much. So let's get into it right after this. When it comes to managing my money, there is one app I check almost every day, and it's Copilot, our sponsor today. It's one of my all-time favorite apps. It's on my home screen, and it makes it so seamless and easy to track your spending and manage your entire financial picture. And just this week, they launched an importer for all your old Mint data, which is amazing because I just imported 9,917 transactions dating back to 2012, which means I now have over a decade of all of my financial data in one place. Now, I've tried so many apps for tracking spending. Last year, I evaluated over a dozen of them, but Copilot is the only one I've kept using. You can link your accounts at over 10,000 institutions, and their expense categorization is the best I've used with custom Amazon and Venmo integrations that make it even better. You can completely design your spending categories and subcategories and easily set up rules to assign transactions to them automatically. Thanks to Copilot, I've never had a better grasp on our spending and cash flow, which I'm pretty sure has resulted in thousands of dollars of savings every year. So for the best app to track your spending, subscriptions, and investments, go to allthehacks.com slash copilot on an iPhone or Mac to download Copilot and enter code HACKS2 during onboarding for a two-month free trial. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash copilot and the code HACKS2 for a free two-month trial of my favorite personal finance app. Zach, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I'm just going to kick us off. And I want to know what you think most people do wrong when they start looking for flight deals. There's so much to choose from here. And I think it all starts with what are you trying to optimize for? This is a question that I'm sure you think about a lot in all different domains, not just travel or booking flights. But I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to perhaps in their job, whether they're paid an hourly rate or effectively have an hourly rate based on their salary is X. And they look back on looking at the flight part of their trip and found that they effectively paid themselves one half, one quarter, one eighth X to try to save 50 bucks, 100 bucks, even a few hundred dollars on a flight by just putting a lot of time into it. So I think that's a really big mistake a lot of people make, which is like, okay, if I'm going to really hunt for a good deal, how much more time is that going to take? And what's really my best outcome here? So deal hunting, for example, on family of four flying business to Europe, if you're in the States, is very different than like, okay, I want to go to Chicago if you're an SF in economy. Let me like play around for half an hour to try to find the best deal. You know, so I think a big thing you just want to ask yourself is, okay, like how much is my time really worth here? And what am I hoping to accomplish? But yeah, I can go on and on with kind of the mistakes that people make. I think another one is using online travel agencies, which just rarely makes sense unless you're booking pretty last minute. Because if you ever want to do a change or cancellation, 
it's just a horrible experience. It's somewhere between impossible and agonizing. So there's really like, no matter how high end you're going, like if you can afford a $7,000 business class ticket, it's not worth it to save $400 because you have to then change it. It's like terrible. And if you're flying economy for 120 bucks and the OTA can give it to you for $98, probably not worth the $22 that you've saved. Like at any price point, I don't think the math really makes sense there. And then I think a lot of people just have habits and loyalties that just don't make sense. Like the amount of people that I know that, you know, are really savvy in other parts of their purchasing lives and they are Delta loyalists and they'll literally search on Delta.com is just mind boggling. Okay, so it sounds like this is perfect to tease us up for the conversation, which is people are just optimizing for the wrong thing and they're spending too long to optimize. So what I thought would be great, and we've talked about this in advance, is what if we just go through everything you need to do and we'll include some of the ones that maybe aren't worth your time, but to save money on a flight. And just to be clear for people listening, this is not a miles and points only conversation. This is if you need to buy an airline ticket, how do you find a price? What are all the considerations to try to get that price down? And to your earlier point about people spending too much time, hopefully we can leave every single person here with at least one or two tactics that they can use quickly to save money on a future trip. Maybe all future trips and maybe a lot of money and maybe a lot of tactics, but at least one tactic to save some money on one trip is what I want everyone to have. And and if you're listening and you end up saving a boatload of money on any trip, first off, New website for all the hacks has our iTunes reviews cycling. So leave a review about how much you saved and you'll probably see it on the website, but also reach out. Let us know. I love to hear these stories of how much people have saved. So to kick us off, let's talk and we can go back and forth. But where do you even just start to search for flights? Like first thing you're doing? Yeah. So for myself personally and within my travel business, which we'll get to a little bit later, Google Flights is actually almost always the first place that we start. It's a really incredible tool. The user experience is fantastic. It's very clean. It shows you what you need to see very quickly. And most importantly, you know, like an Expedia or Kayak or really any other flight aggregator, when Google is showing you their best flight, which is if you ever use Google Flights, you usually will see best flight, best flights, one, two or three flights that come to the top. Those are not going to be influenced by the commissions that Google makes, where if you look at the kind of competitor sites, you'll see that the order, whether it's the top flights or in the middle, is like all very influenced by the actual amount of money they make on tickets, which, you know, kind of gets to something probably most of your listeners are familiar with, which is if you're not paying for the product, like you are the product. And almost every travel business, especially in the airline industry, makes money by either selling your data to a bigger travel business or to a company like Google or by begging airlines for commissions. And then you're kind of the vehicle to get that commission. I'm not paying for Google flights. So in some way I must be the product, but why is that different? Google is basically just at a scale where they can decide to not make margin there because they're just printing money through their business. Where for Expedia, that's like the entire entirety of their business or a big part of their business such that they can't afford to leave that money on the table. Where Google does things all the time, like, I mean, Google Maps, you know, there's very few ways they directly monetize Google Maps, but just by getting you into the ecosystem and giving you a great experience, it has a lot of benefit to them. And do you trust when you're on Google Flights or other sites, if people are on them, when they kind of give these predictions of where the fare is going up or down. And I remember Google doing this, but now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't know if they do it all the time, but are those predictions good? Do you trust them? So I'm not a great person to ask here because I know that my and my team members' predictions are way better. So I've never like taken the time to actually systematically look through what Google has to say. I can tell you for sure that when I looked into Hopper, the predictions were like really off like two or three years ago. But yeah, I just haven't spent the time to look at Google Flights to have a strong opinion about that. 
what I would say in general is that if you're relying on like automatically generated predictions to book a flight, you're probably optimizing for the wrong thing. And obviously, you know, you guys have booked, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of flights. You know more about this than I do. And in some ways, I'm going through this entire conversation. I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I'm doing like if I can leave doing all the things you do, I'm going to feel really stoked. (laughs) But you said you have a really good calibration on whether the fare might go up or down. Obviously, some of that's destination specific. Like you probably know what the fare will probably be. And we can't go through every city. But are there any timeline things that go through your head in terms of like days out or stuff like that that is kind of a good barometer for when you should book? The short answer is it really just depends on a lot of things. And this happens all the time in my business where clients are like, well, when is the best time to book for this route that I actually want right now? Or when generally is the best time? And I can't really give an answer. If you give me a specific route, then I could potentially give much higher probabilities. But again, we're, we're thinking in probabilities here. So you have to be okay with that uncertainty. So there's never something where it's like 100% of the time, this is how it's going to happen. It's always, you know, you want like a 70%, an 80%, and then you kind of have an edge there. But for a lot of people with travel, just emotionally, the idea of waiting because you wanted to save money and then spending more money is just feels so much worse than spending the money today that they don't do it. So that's just another example of how, you know, in today you always get paid for kind of accepting volatility. And with flights and travel, it's no different. Sometimes the smallest changes make the biggest impact and Trade Coffee is a great addition to your morning routine. Trade brings roasted-to-order coffee from more than 55 of the nation's top roasters right to your doorstep. Stay tuned for a special offer for All The Hacks listeners in just a moment and thank you to Trade for partnering with us on this episode. Now, I don't know about you, but February is a time of year where we all need pick-me-ups, and trade deliveries each week are always a huge bright spot in our house. When you subscribe to Trade, you'll discover new favorites from local roasters across the country, like one of our favorites, Alma Coffee from Georgia, which I know we never would have found ourselves, but they make amazing coffee, and it is so convenient to brew at home. The best part is you can personalize everything. They send coffee that's matched to your taste preferences, and you can choose how often often you get it delivered. There's multiple ways to experience coffee with trade. Sign up for a subscription or try one of their starter packs today. So jumpstart your daily coffee routine by signing up for a trade subscription. Trade is offering a free bag with select subscription plans when you visit allthehacks.com slash trade. That's allthehacks.com slash trade for a free bag with select subscription plans. Allthehacks.com slash trade. I've talked to a lot of amazing people on this podcast, but if you're like me, you want to go deeper. So where can you go to learn from the most remarkable people? That's Masterclass, who I'm excited to partner with for this episode. This year, don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it by giving you unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. In fact, Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think like a boss with Martha Stewart or go deeper on mental strength with All The Hacks guest Robin Arzone, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, like Modern Japanese Cooking, which helped me be more confident in the kitchen and introduce some new flavors to our weekly meals. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk for you. 
And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at allthehacks.com slash masterclass. Get 15% off right now at allthehacks.com slash masterclass, allthehacks.com slash masterclass. So you mentioned the travel portals briefly earlier. There's two thoughts that I have. I heard why you don't like them, but I'll say one, Capital One in their travel portal And especially for anyone who has a VentureX card where they actually have $300 they have to spend, where I think maybe that would be a scenario that you could argue if you have a $300 fight and you can get it for free in the portal, it might be worth the hassle that could come with it. But they will, within 10 days, if your flight drops in price and they recommended buy it, they'll refund you up to $50. Now, we could talk about whether the hassle of doing all this is worth the $50, but I will at least say that if you're in the Capital One Travel Portal, it is kind of cool that they believe in their algorithm enough to back it by $50 in 10 days. So not great if you've got a family of four taking an international vacation where the $50 is probably not worth it, but something to keep in mind. And then I sent you before we recorded, because I knew your perspective on travel portals, an article that I'll link to in the show notes where the points guy went through all these crap travel portals. And for the most part, the travel portals were about the same price. Sometimes they were a little cheaper. And then there were a couple routes where they were like half the price or 30% off. And then a bunch of routes where they were twice as expensive. I get the consideration about why you don't want to book a travel portal, why you don't want to be stuck with the hassle. I'll share one anecdote from my side was we were flying to Cabo and half of the group had booked an Alaska flight on their own and half had booked through some travel portal. One person through Amex, maybe one through Kayak. And the flight was four hours delayed. And they're like, we're waiting for the inbound aircraft to leave LA. And everyone's like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't leave. Like, who knows what's happening? And United, funny, going back to your point about who knows what's happening with fares, the flight to Cabo on United was the exact same price one hour before departure. So we were like, let's cancel our Alaska flight. Let's go get the United flight. Airplane's already here. It leaves in an hour. For me, booked directly on Alaska, went to the counter, said, hey, your flight's delayed four hours. Can you cancel it? No problem. Unchecked me in, canceled it, full refund. I remember sitting on the United plane next to a friend of mine who's on the phone with Amex Travel and is like trying to get his flight on Alaska canceled before the doors close. And I actually don't know whether it happened because I think he had to hang up and just hope that they were able to cancel it while we were in the air. And I don't think I followed up, but we all know that changing things is a hassle. If you get $300 free, it might be worth it. But is there any scenario where it's worth it for, I don't know, the 10X points some of these credit cards will give you to book in their portal? Yeah. What I would say is if you're going to listen to this entire episode, the answer is almost certainly not. I think there's some people that it does make sense to use the portal. And that's like kind of the most advanced way they're going to be able to get good deals, maybe that and using a certain credit card of the issuing bank that has the portal. Like for example, using the Chase Sapphire Reserve to book travel within the Chase Travel Portal, that for a lot of flights is going to be better than using Google Flights. But there's so many other things out there that you can do. And if you're the type of person that's regularly listening to all the hacks that you're finding this episode, or I'm sending you to this episode, there's probably much lower hanging fruit that takes less time that has a better reward. So what I would say is, yes, those use cases exist, but it's kind of similar to like using an OTA, which is like, okay, who's the person for whom like saving $100 on an $800 flight makes sense that has such low probability of changing, of needing to change the ticket. And then if they do, being okay with that happening. It's like those people exist, but that's, it feels like it's a pretty small percentage of people that are going to want to make that trade and feel good about it. 
a lot of people make these trades because it feels really good in the moment to save 20 bucks, save 50 bucks, save 100 bucks. And then you like regret it, you know, what feels like forever when the inevitable thing happens because there's just always delays, always cancellations, no matter how well you plan. I don't think it makes a ton of sense looking into them. And frankly, you know, Chris, like I, you've probably looked at these portals more than I have. And I think by the, the time we're finished here in discussing all the different ways you can save money on travel, if you're actually going through the kind of waterfall approach that I used to take personally that I built a business around, going through the portal at the end, probably not going to make sense because you're going to find something that's higher leverage. Great. So let's go through this list. And I'll flag that you said the waterfall approach. I don't know if this list is going to be the perfect order because <laughs> there's probably going to be scenarios where some do work, some don't work. So listen to the whole thing and think about all that first. But where do you think the biggest opportunity for arbitraging the price of a flight is. Yeah. And just before I answer that question directly, like when I say waterfall, what I mean is starting with the thing that has the highest probability of getting you a much more discounted flight and then going to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing before you just kind of give up and book it like a retail price. And what that is for a business versus a certain type of frequent traveler versus infrequent traveler, that's going to be different every time. So just giving that caveat, but for almost everyone in most use cases, Trying to see if you can use miles and points is going to make sense as a first step. And the more savvy you are, the more you'll be able to understand very quickly if it's the type of route or flight where you don't need to even bother looking at it. The more you travel business and first class, and the more you travel more flexibly, one ways versus round trip and last minute, the more miles and points make sense. And the less you do those things, the lower the probability you're going to be able to get a good mileage deal. The point where for some itineraries, where if you're like, Hey, Zach, like me and my entire family want to go to Europe next summer and leave, you know, the Friday or Saturday after public school ends in the Bay Area and come back nine days later on the Sunday. I can tell you don't bother looking for miles for four or five tickets because that probability is basically approaching zero. But if you tell me, hey, tomorrow I want to take a business class flight to any metropolitan city in Europe and get a great deal, I can say with basically 100% confidence, you will be able to find a great deal with miles. And then everything else is kind of in between. And that flexibility, by the way, I wrote this list for this presentation I just gave. It's not just flexible with dates. It could be flexible with city. It could be flexible with how many layovers you have. It could be flexible with what season you go. It could be flexible with if you're a family of two parents and two kids, do you and your spouse fly separately, each with one kid because you found two tickets on two different airlines? And I have not done that yet. We got lucky. Just to give a great example, two Christmases ago, we wanted to go for the holidays to... Paris and London. And we decided a couple weeks before. Great, right? We weren't as flexible, but it was last minute. And we found four tickets nonstop San Francisco to Paris and then return London back to San Francisco. The outbound was 60,000 points each. And the return was through Turkish, which is a great deal for 45,000. So it was 105,000 points a person round trip in business. Awesome deal. And that was for four people two weeks before the holidays, which is actually, I think, a great time to travel because everyone's traveling two weeks later. So obviously, if you have the flexibility, a good option. Okay, so let's talk about that middle ground or even the ground where you're like, I am flexible. We're going to do a whole episode deep diving on all the tools you can use. We've talked about them a lot. And I realized there's just not a canonical place for me to send people that are like, what are the best tools? So I'm going to make that episode. But I want to hear from you. What are the tools that you like? Because you do this for a living and I do this for sport. To be honest, only for a couple of years now have I not booked my own travel. Even when I've had a very capable team that's doing this for other people, I still always want to do it myself. And I still actually like look up travel for myself, even though I don't really book it for myself anymore. 
So full disclosure here, what I'm going to share is based on the experience of my team using these tools, as well as some friends. And, you know, whenever possible, unless you really love doing this, I'm obviously a little biased here, but I think outsourcing it to professionals when it makes economic sense can be a good idea because it's really like I've spent literally over 10,000 hours optimizing this stuff for myself. And that's not an investment that makes sense for everyone to do. Although I'm very happy that I personally made it. So to the tools. So seats.arrow is a tool you've talked about on your podcast before, Chris. It's really like kind of taken the miles and points industry by storm. It's a really incredible scraper that just gives you a bunch of information about basically every possible way you can use points and makes it pretty easily searchable. And the functionality in the free version is really, really good. So this is something that for my team, where we've built some of our own internal software to help more efficiently search for great mileage deals, my team still uses seats.arrow as well to supplement that software. And it's the only external tool that we use regularly today. So I think that alone should kind of say, you know, the functionality of it and how powerful it is. That being said, if you don't already know a lot about miles and points and are listening to this, seats.arrow will feel really overwhelming and like there'll be a big learning curve. So unless you're already someone who thinks of themselves as savvy with seats.arrow and you don't want to make a big investment, I would not even bother diving more into this. I'd say that one kind of person could make sense for is if you're like an engineer, you're already a pretty technical person and you want to learn a lot more about travel and have like a fun new tool to kind of co-teach yourself with, seats.arrow is going to be a great tool for that. So Chris, I don't know if you want to talk about your experience using it or you know your your friends or colleagues, but it's it's really powerful. And everyone I know in the miles and points industry, it's like, once they heard about it, it became kind of the, the tool of choice or one of the tools of choices pretty quickly. It's a fantastic tool. Ian, the guy who started it, is also awesome because when he gets a cease and desist from an airline, he fights it. He doesn't just roll over. This is his project yeah. and he's put a lot of work into it. It is great for very, very, very flexible things like oh, North America to Europe and that kind of stuff. The one thing it misses is if you have ultimate flexibility, Seats.arrow is really good if you want to search within a month. You can do like plus 28 day searches across all programs. They basically have two sections, one where you search by a program and one where you search across everything. I don't think there is an easy way to do like want to go to Japan next year across all programs. I think like that is one area that's missing. And so the tool I've been using a lot for that is points. Yeah, there are a lot of these tools, but because they have a really good flexible search, that's like, I just want to go somewhere, like show me what's possible. And it's a lot easier of an interface for someone to get started. There's a free version that also is great. And the paid version is not that expensive. If I can get deals for any of these tools, I'll link to all of them in the show notes. I think some of them we have on our deals page, but I'm going to go try just since we're talking about them. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Are there any other tools that you think are worth calling out? Yeah, I just want to note again, the kind of the use case if you're listening to this, like, should I take the time to look at points? Yeah. I think points, yeah, is great really for all spectrums. If you're a beginner, it's actually like a pretty intuitive tool to use. The other tool I would just mention for less flexible travel, but that still wants to use miles and points, award logic. So if you're like, hey, listen, I want to travel from here to there in a one or two, maybe three day period. And I want to search across programs. Today, I think the most user-friendly tool is by far award logic. So I'd also just highlight that tool as well. My gripe with award logic is that it's more expensive than most tools. It's like 20 bucks a month, which if you're doing this for a living, makes sense. If you're doing for sport, might seem like a lot. <laughs> Obviously, if you're going to book one flight or if you're booking a big trip to pay for a tool for a month, 
is fine. Yeah. I also pay for point.me. It's much slower than award logic and you can only search one date at a time, but I sometimes recommend it more to people who want more handholding because I think the instruction at point.me is hands down the best. If you're new to this and you're like, I need help point.me yeah. is one where they're like, here is the place to go to the website to search. Here is how to open the account. Here is how to log into your Capital One account. And here's how to transfer. They walk you through every single step. So I think if you're new to this and you're looking for very specific dates, Award Logic is faster and lets you search three days at a time. Point.me is slower and lets you search one day at a time, but will really handhold you through the entire process to the point that like, maybe you use one tool and find your flight and then you pay for the day pass for like, five dollars on point me to just like pull it up and have them walk you through it so stay tuned for all of the other tool overviews we're going to give one note on point.me as well which is if you have a lot of miles and points but you don't want to be bothered to do this point.me also has a service and a lot of these other sites do as well i think a word logic does too where you can pay them 200 bucks 150 bucks for them to help you use your own miles and points the point.me concierge is great. I've sent a lot of people there. They've had really good experiences. I think we have a discount that I'm going to link to in the show notes in case you want to use it. There's a couple other ones out there. One called Award Cat. 10X Travel has one. You said Award Logic might have one too. So it's $150 per person, maybe $200 per person, but you only pay if they find something. Usually it's a $25 to $50 search fee. So you've got to ask yourself, how big of a trip is this? How many points do I have? How am I going to make this whole thing work? And is it worth my time to go figure this out? For a lot of people listening, it's fun. They want to do that. Some people, they don't. And those tools are really great. But I think there's another place that is interesting, which is if this is the biggest arbitrage, right? If you're taking a family of four to Europe in business class, like we were on our trip, 400,000 points is depending on where you got them and how you acquired them could be valued as low as like four grand. And I can tell you that that flight was probably, I think it was like 4,000, 5,000 each, if not more last minute in December. So that's a huge arbitrage, right? Like it was probably $20,000 of flights for the equivalent of $4,000 or something like that. What if you don't have the points? Like what if someone listening is like, whoa, that is the best arbitrage. I can save 75% on these family vacations, but I need 400,000 points and I don't have them. We've done a lot of episodes on quickly accruing points, like sign up bonuses and all that stuff. So we'll put that aside. But you built a whole business around this. Talk a little bit about how people can get access to some of the great deals that points offer without having the points. Yeah. So Fly Flat started as just a side hustle of mine, where because I was doing so much manufactured spending and churning of my own, I used some of my own miles and points to book friends' flights. And for 10, 20 minutes of mileage searching, I could save them thousands of dollars and then I'd upcharge it a grand, 1500. And that was a nice little thing to do. And then I learned about kind of all the liquid markets for transferable point currencies like Chase, City, and Amex. Fortunately, not that you as listeners get access to, but one that I worked hard for years to kind of get vetted into these communities. And as a result, now FlyFlot can basically leverage these miles and points on the back and on behalf of our clients. And it's one of the many arbitrages that we take advantage of to save our clients money. So the reason, you know, a number of our clients start coming to us at the beginning is just the kind of headline, we can save you 80, 70% off a flight because, you know, those points you're talking about, Chris, that you're saying you can buy for as cheap as four grand, we can sometimes buy for as cheap as not exactly four grand, but close to it when the retail price for all of those combined, you're, you know, you're talking about each one-way segment probably being 4K. 
So that's like 16K versus four. So we can then offer to you for like, let's say we're buying it for 4,500, all the miles and points. Our price will end up being somewhere between 6,500 and 8,000, depending on the mileage program and the specifics of the route. So the way we currently serve our clients is through a luxury concierge product. So that's where people are interacting with us on their favorite chat platform, whether it's WhatsApp, Signal, or Telegram. I know you have a, a link that you use, I think, all the hacks.com slash flyflat, F-L-Y-F-L-A-T. And that's kind of for the you know luxury concierge part of things. And we don't actually accept everyone that wants to apply there through our Get Started page. We're currently trying to keep up with the demand that we have and trying to scale up pretty quickly. But we have a beta for a self-serve product that right now is only live in New York City, but probably in the next few months, we'll have it live in the Bay Area and most of their major US cities and cities around the world. And with that, we basically put our best mileage deals that you can book instantly on a website and then we're fulfilling it on the back end and we're using miles and points to be able to get those deals. And that you could find at fly-flat.com slash deals. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I think if you go to allthehacks.com slash fly flat, people are going to get, I think, $250 off their first flight. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I asked before we started, I was like, what are people going to get? And he said, yeah, we'll get you a special deal. And then all the Hacks members, we're going to do some other cool things. You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I am so amazed at how fast they're growing up. And then I end up pulling my back, picking them both up, and it hits me hard. I am getting older too. That's why planning for my family's financial security is a top priority. Making sure you're prepared and have enough life insurance just in case something unexpected happens is crucial. And our sponsor today, Fabric by Gerber Life, makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. And when I say surprisingly affordable, I actually went online to compare prices and found that Fabric was highly competitive with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And you can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash all the hacks. That's meetfabric.com slash all the hacks. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash all the hacks. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. I've heard too many stories from friends, family, and even listeners about identity theft and phishing scams causing so much pain and hassle, and it's just not something I want in my life, and I feel like we have the right to stay private and protect our personal data. One of the biggest reasons a lot of this happens is that there are dozens of data broker sites out there selling and sharing our personal information online. When I first looked up our family, there were hundreds of pieces of our personal info out there, but thankfully, I started using Delete Me to automatically get all of our personal data removed from the web, and I am so excited to be partnering with them for this episode. Delete Me is an amazing service that will not just find and remove your personal information from hundreds of data broker websites, but they'll continuously scan for new data that shows up and get that removed as well. Delete Me removes data from over 500 websites, and on average, they find and remove over 2,000 pieces of personal data for a customer in their first two years. 
When I first signed up, I was actually skeptical about needing a service on an ongoing basis, but these data brokers are relentless, and I've seen my personal data pop up again and again throughout the year, so I love having a service that continuously sends me updated reports on all the removals they're doing in the background. So if you want to get your personal information removed from the web, go to allthehacks.com slash delete me and get 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash delete me. I just want to thank you quick for listening to and supporting the show. Your support is what keeps this show going. To get all of the URLs, codes, deals, and discounts from our partners, you can go to allthehacks.com slash deals. So please consider supporting those who support us. Okay, so let's talk about this whole brokered points world because it's fascinating to me. You said most people don't have access to it. There are websites out there who will buy your points, right? So if I had millions of points, which I do, and I was just like, I want to cash them out, there is a world where I could do that, right? Yeah, I would say email Zach at flat.com. But yes, there are many services that you could also work with online, some of whom for certain miles and points might give you better pricing than what we can do. But yeah, on the selling side of things, if you're not worried about your personal information, then I would do that. But when you're talking about buying and selling miles and points, like what you're doing mechanically often is giving someone access to your Amex, your Chase, your United account. So obviously people are probably a lot more comfortable doing that for United miles than they are for you know their American Express account. And that's why if you have a community that has extremely high trust, where you can know that there's not going to be any nefariousness or fraud being committed when giving people access to various people's bank accounts, then you could have a sustained edge and an ability to build up liquidity in these various miles and points. Because I imagine one of the challenges is I go, oh, hey, I got, I got a million chase points. I'd like to offload them. Someone could say, okay, well, now I'm going to go out and you know, as soon as someone wants a flight that's available with chase points, they could email me and then I've got to book it for them. And then if they have to make changes, we have to go back and forth and it, it kind of gets messy. So I, I see where it actually feels like a lot more hassle unless I'm willing to share my information. And I think the average person listening is probably not want to share their chase login with a random person off the internet. Maybe they will with you now that they've gotten to listen to you for an hour. But in general, we all have our cents per point value, right? We know we could go to the travel portal and get one to one and a half cents, depending on our card. My rule of thumb is try to get more than two when redeeming yourself. What is the value someone would get ballpark relative to those two options in this world? Yeah, much worse. If you know how to use your miles and points, you will always get better value using them. So right now, the market price for like a transferable point currency that's transferred in a way that has no risk to anyone using the points, which is very different than how almost every mileage broker you could find online. And I'll get to the risks in a moment. Market rate for those those transferable point currencies is you know around 1.25, 1.3 cents per point. So that's like the top dollar that we're paying, not directly to the person that's selling the miles and points, but to a broker that does this professionally. For the relationships where we know business owners ourselves, we're buying them for closer to a cent. So again, nowhere near the price you can get yourself, even if you're just me, a redeeming in a travel portal. So if you have chase points, you know it's very trivial to effectively get 1.5 cents per point. Some flights will be marked up so that you're really getting 1.45, 1.4, but still much better than you can get by selling your miles and points. So the people whom it makes sense to sell their miles or points are those that are business owners that are probably earning way more than 400,000 points a week or a month, such that even if they go to Europe three times a year, they couldn't possibly use those miles and points 
you know, in an effective and efficient manner. And many business owners, they don't like to travel internationally. They just don't do it or they do it so infrequently such that the best they're going to get is statement credit for between 0.75 and one cent per point. So if someone offers it to you for 1.05 or even at one cent, but gives you the cash now versus waiting for the billing cycle, and maybe you're paying whatever 1% a month on working capital with your credit line, it starts to now make a whole lot of sense to sell your miles or points for a cent. So those are the types of business owners that we're either buying from directly or buying through brokers. But again, I, I want to emphasize like the vast majority of miles and points you can get yourself by searching on the internet, you should not trust because a really high percentage of them, not a majority, but a high enough percentage that it's just the risk reward isn't there are miles and points that were stolen that are being sold on behalf of business owners or individuals that are not going to share their information. And therefore, there's going to be a big time lag and potentially you think you own the points, but then when you actually want to use them, something bad happens. Or you have people that are basically not necessarily stealing, but doing gray area things, depending on what your ethical standpoint is. You know, one prime example is tons of travel agents, not so much in the States, but other parts of the world, they will create frequent flyer accounts for their clients, not tell their clients, and then sell those accounts and those miles and points to other people. And then periodically, those clients will then realize and be like, oh, I want my miles and points, but they're already sold. And of course, that broker is not going to then alert you and refund you. So it's it's very much kind of a transactional commoditized business online, such that when I looked into this before I kind of got access to like by far the largest miles and points liquidity pool, I was just like, I need to stay away. It doesn't make any sense. Only when I learn kind of that there's really, you know, one community that is dealing in the majority of the kind of world's traded miles and points that I kind of opened my mind to, oh, actually, maybe you can safely and scalably leverage other people's miles and points. And that kind of question about six years ago is now kind of the underpinning of FlyFlat today. And I'm going to have to press you to go deeper on this. Like, you know, you've alluded to this community. Can you talk a little bit about the largest liquidity pool of miles and points in the world? Yeah. So especially in what's happening in the world today, at risk of not sounding too anti-Semitic as a Jewish guy from New York, it's largely Hasidic Jews that, you know, buy and sell these miles and points. And a lot of it is for the same reasons that Hasidic Jews have always excelled in kind of the diamond trade or in, you know, banking, because these relationships are built on trust. And these communities are so tight knit and there's such a sense of, I would never do something against the word of God or against someone in my community, such that you can give your bank account to a hundred different people in your community and sleep at night knowing there's nothing going to happen. That doesn't really work outside of an extremely high trust society. So I think it's really beautiful, you know, the kind of high trust nature of this community. And, but yeah, it's, they're not, they're not dealing with people that are not very much, you know, either part of the community themselves or those that haven't kind of been really thoroughly vetted and know how to best do business with these folks. I remember when we first talked, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Should I start a business here? And you were like, you're not Jewish, non-starter. Like, <laughs> it's just not even an option. And you spent years getting vetted to try to get into this, to be able to build the business you had today. So I think that's pretty kind of special and cool. And how big is it? How many miles and points do you think are flowing through this community? Yeah. So a lot of people ask me this. I'm literally in WhatsApp groups where billions of miles and points are being traded every single day. And, you know, there's many suppliers and people that are not in these WhatsApp groups that are doing volumes much, much greater than that on top of it. So, you know, it's not limitless, but think about the fact that like some exponential number higher than 
what the global GDP is, is the number of miles and points that we're given away every single year. And then just think about the number of business owners and businesses that are not optimizing those miles and points, which is the vast, vast majority. And then the subset of them that are working to kind of sell them. In a, and it's not just only Jewish business owners doing this, of course, although it, it's certainly overrepresented. But yeah, there's a lot of business owners that build a personal relationship with a broker in person and they feel comfortable giving the broker that information. So when we're when we're buying transferable point currencies, a good amount of the time, we don't actually have access to the Amex account ourselves, but we're working with a broker that we know during certain hours is like online 24-7. Because without those relationships, a lot of this doesn't work. So we've automated a lot of, hey, after the points are transferred to mileage accounts we create for our clients on our back end, how do we automate that? But Amex doesn't have APIs because they don't really want this happening at scale. So you kind of need those relationships where there's high trust and there's extreme responsiveness. So yes, you could build this not tapping the community that's largely doing this today, but it would be extremely difficult. And I've been able to focus on providing a great product for my customers and not kind of the operational scaling miles and points as a result, where I know some of our competitors have had to work really hard to get vetted by this community. And yes, we do have competitors that are not Jewish that do business with a subset of the community, but it's it's different. And I'll leave it at that for the podcast. Maybe you and I can talk about it a little bit after. But they have their own relationships too. And those other relationships, just things just break. And when you look at kind of the risk management approach to take a fly flat, like we're not okay with a 0.03% chance of things breaking when our client is, you know, going for an important business meeting or going to see their family over the holidays. So I think that's why mileage brokering, all of this stuff, I think fairly has kind of a not a good name. Because such a high percentage of the time for whatever business there is, there's issues that happen, even if it's one, two, three, four percent of the time that gives the whole thing a bad name and makes the whole thing not trustworthy. So a big part of what I'm trying to do is basically scale this and, you know, eventually even have it be something that is completely loved and partnering with the airline, similar like a hotel tonight. Hotel tonight, Uber, a lot of these services, they took advantage of a fundamental like supply and demand desire on both sides of the market even though maybe the laws and regulations and the desires the companies that they were working with did not see that vision. But eventually, if you understand the reality of the fact that like airlines want there to be money going in their pocket for every business class seat and they don't know how to sell them effectively, they should work with someone that knows how to sell those last minute seats more effectively. You know, ergo with hotels, you have Hotel Tonight, huge, you know, one of the big exits to the travel space. So I think there's a big opportunity for that. One thing it got me thinking is FlyFlat effectively provides two really big values. The average person doesn't have to do any searching, right? They could say, oh, I want to go here. And you both find the flight and broker the points. Is there a world where someone who is willing to do the searching, but like doesn't have the points could get access to something at a lower spread? Or do they just need to find a broker or take someone like me? Let's say I had no points, but I know how to get the deals. Is there a product for me? If you book more than five plus business class flights a year and you're booking within a month of the date, email me at Zach at fly-flat.com and we'll figure something out. So biggest arbitrage opportunity, miles and points. We've talked about it a ton on the show. If you have the points, there are tools that make it easier. If you don't have the points, there are places like what you've built that can give you access to some of those savings. Let's move on because I know we have like eight or nine other things. So like miles and points, like you said, isn't always going to be the way to get the best deal. I'll just share one quick one, which is around gift cards and flight credits. And so let's say you don't find a perfect deal, which we're going to get to. I just want to make sure I plug that Southwest gift cards go on sale all the time. 
right? You could buy Southwest gift cards on Costco for 14% off. I bought some around the holidays at Sam's Club for 20% off. And you could buy in fairly reasonable quantities. You could buy $500 or $2,000. So that is one where I would say is one, maybe we could say more than 14 to 20% off later and not all airlines gift cards go on sale and you might not know which airline you need. But if there's an airline that you know you're going to fly on regularly and you can get consistent big return, I think that's great. For sure. You probably listen to the Acquired podcast, Chris. I would say like I've listened to one episode. Cool. Well, for anyone that's curious about how Costco can make those economics work, one of my favorite acquired episodes is on Costco and they have kind of a whole section around like they're making money net on like selling Southwest at 13% off. Like how the hell does this work? So just something I found, I, I found enjoyable. I think some of your listeners will enjoy as well. Oh, awesome. I will definitely listen to that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. That was just one that I wanted to throw out there, but you have this list. Let's start with the next one, which is around Hidden Cities. Yeah, so just as a primer for people who haven't heard of Hidden City, Hidden City is this concept of basically hiding the city you actually want to go to to the airlines when you're booking the ticket. So an example that I like to give a lot is, okay, let's use you, Chris, San Francisco, and you want to go to New York City. Almost 100% of the time, it will be cheaper for you to book a ticket to Cleveland or Puerto Rico or someplace within a few hours of New York, connecting in New York, than to book the nonstop to New York. And the reason for this is because like a lot of businesses, airlines don't price based on what their costs are and add something. Only Costco's like that in a pure form. They price based on what they think they can get. And the average person traveling between SF and New York has a lot more money and is much more likely to be a business traveler that is expensing the flight to their business versus paying for it for themselves so they can charge more money for it. The company that popularized this was called Skiplag. It's still around Skiplag today. And it was started by a college student as like a side hustle, side project thing. And then he got sued by United. And the lawsuit by United was incredible for his business. So I always tell people like, maybe I'll regret it, but like getting somebody else doesn't sound that bad because it's insanely awesome free press because everyone hates the airlines. So the media is always like, look at this underdog who's getting sued by the airlines. And the guy raised like a legal fund of like 100K or something within like a day or a week and won. Because ultimately doing Hidden City, doing a lot of, I'd say, some of like the best hacks the two things that were responsible for the biggest discounts of fly flight, hidden city and miles and points arbitrage, can, depending on how you do them, violate the terms of service of your contract of carriage with the airline, but are still perfectly legal to do. So they're kind of like card counting, where the airlines don't want you to do them, but they're perfectly legal to do. And from my perspective, there's nothing morally wrong with taking advantage of their pricing inefficiency. So the way most people do hidden city today does violate the airline terms of service. So I think the risk of doing that once, twice, maybe three times a year is really low on any individual airline. But if you start doing this a lot, especially on the same alliance, you want to be careful and understand that they might take away your miles and points and there might be some issues with them. So just fair warning, I'll get to the way FlyFlat books them. We actually don't violate the terms of service. How exactly we do that, I'm going to keep a little closer to the vest. But there are ways to take advantage of hidden city ticketing without violating the terms of service. Okay, we take your typical hidden city ticket. So you can basically rely on like a kayak or someone to find it for you. So today, even a company as large as kayak is regularly putting out hidden city inventory on their website. The way they get around it with the airlines and who knows how long this will be the case is they're linking to an OTA that's doing hidden city. So they're just aggregating OTAs. They're not putting their own hidden city inventory out there, but it's now a somewhat popular thing that you can book. But really by far, all the best hidden cities come from tooling with this yourself. And this is kind of the second 
big thing that we ended up investing in a lot of time and money into to basically find these kind of better arms. And to illustrate it, I can share my screen, Chris, or you can play around with this if you're listening at home. Let's take a flight this Saturday, which was February 3rd, from London to New York City. Book a nonstop flight. That's going to retail for, depending on which flight you look at, 9, 10, 11 grand as of the time of this recording, January 31st. Now, if you add a connecting leg from JFK to Montego Bay, Jamaica, that flight is going to come down to $2,400. So you're just adding this few hour layover that you don't intend to take. And now you've magically saved $7,000. So this is kind of one example of all the ways you can have absolutely insane savings by Hidden City. And it took a while, but we basically automated the subset of ways to do this that doesn't violate airline TOS so that we can just systematically save people a lot of money. And Hidden City is much more ubiquitous than Miles and Points. So even if you're pretty flexible, like just Miles and Points deals don't exist for most flights. But on certain routes, Hidden City, especially when the retail price for business and first is routinely above like five grand, it'll be reliable on certain routes like 80, 90% of the time, no matter how close or how far you are from booking the ticket. One thing I've always been told is if you have a layover and you check a bag, your bag's going through. So in your example, someone flying from London to New York, maybe they do have a bag. They're probably actually okay there because in customs in the US, you're going to have to collect your bags and recheck them. So maybe that's okay. But there are places, I know if they were flying from Dublin, yes. they would do pre-clearance so they wouldn't yeah. have to check their bags. How does that play into Hidden City ticketing? So the way FlyFlat does it, you can always check your bag. There's never an issue. But if you're going to kind of do it normally by yourself or through kayak or if you skip lag, yes, that's definitely an issue. You're smart to understand like, yes, if you're connecting and not doing pre-customs in Dublin or Abu Dhabi or whatever, the few countries that have that, you're connecting in the US, you can get away with it. But yes, definitely don't check a bag if your bag is going to go all the way through. And don't proactively attach your frequent flyer mile ticket to the ticket either. Certain airlines are better than others. I'll leave the Alliance and the guy somewhat anonymous, but I once was taking a flight from Europe to the States business class, and I ended up chatting with an analyst at one of the big three American aviation companies. And we started talking about my business and he's like, yeah, like I tried to basically get my leadership to care about extreme hidden city that's happening. So you could probably figure out which airline this is not based on the one that's cracked down the most on Hidden City as of recent. But yeah, it's like I built a pretty easy script that basically identify when people are doing it more than 10 times in a single year using their frequent flyer number. And it ended up not being good politically for him and his career. Not in, I think, a big way, but like they just didn't want to hear it. Just other priorities didn't really care. You know, something I always try to remember is you just never underestimate like how slow things can move when you're talking about big, large, effectively kind of like quasi-governmental organizations like the way the airlines are. So there is risk here, especially like with American Airlines and the One World Alliance. But listen, if you can save a few thousand bucks, especially on a business class ticket, and you're doing it once a year, you're totally fine. They're never going to like take away your miles or do something just from doing one ticket. So this is definitely by far the most advanced mode thing. Like you're probably not going to do this yourself, Chris, which like says a lot. This is probably for like a very small percentage of the people that are listening, but you can become an expert in Hidden City and play around with the stuff manually. Or then, of course, you could just outsource it to us and we'll do it for you every time. But frankly, I really enjoyed learning about this. It was just kind of the next big like thing and opportunity besides Miles and Point that's still like not understood. There's no tools out there. It's much more of kind of a black box. 
And I guess a couple questions. So what about economy? What about domestic? Is it still work in those scenarios? Just not as well. So for domestic, there's just much less of an ARB here to the point where like, I wouldn't really worry about doing it yourself until you start talking about tickets that are well over $1,000 per ticket. Using skiplag.com for anything below that, it's going to be your 80-20 for this. So definitely would recommend using skiplagged a few times a year if you're comfortable with that risk and not checking any bags. But if you're not going to check a bag, you're not going to put your frequent flyer number in, and you're going to use this sparingly on a per-alliance basis, I think it's a really great risk-reward, and I recommend it to my friends all the time. You said not to put your frequent flyer number in at the start. Does that mean that maybe you could claim those miles after the flight? Or how do you think about when to put your frequent flyer number in? You know, if I'm taking a business class flight from San Francisco through New York to Montego Bay or something, like I want those miles. Well, would you rather have this $8,000 of savings in cash or the $800 worth of miles? That's your risk calculus there. So I think if you're going to be as aggressive as doing like a hidden city that saves you thousands of dollars in business class, I think you should just leave the miles on the table and not try to get them. At least would be my personal risk reward calculus as someone who is no stranger to risk when it comes to this stuff. But yes, if you're doing it once a year, putting your frequent flyer number in, especially if you use a different airport that happens after the place you want to go, and that changes every time, once or twice a year, I think you're probably fine. Again, I just wouldn't advise doing it because I think when you start talking about the more premium routes, potentially it's like, okay, you know, one hidden city on this save hundred bucks, it's fine. Some airlines might have a flag of like, oh, wow, this person is doing this in a way that's really obvious that costs us a lot in lost revenue. I think they think about the lost revenue incorrectly. And a lot of people that they lost the revenue versus a $10,000 ticket would have never purchased a $10,000 ticket originally. But again, you don't want to risk your miles and points going away. So that's my advice. But I don't think it's crazy to put your frequent flyer number in for some of these cases, especially if you're doing it very infrequently. What more can you tell me if I want to push harder on like the whole contract of carriage? It sounds like you don't want to share all of your secrets, but I imagine everyone listening right now is like, okay, so there is a way. I want to figure out the way. Read the contract of carriage, read the relevant sections and think about how tickets are booked. That's how I figure it out. Do the work. What I hear you say is if someone goes through and reads the contract of carriage with United or American or Delta, it sounds like if they want to put the time and energy in, they could probably come up with a creative solution. Yeah. I don't think that's a good expectation for everyone, but I think amongst your really savvy listenership, I think if you had a bunch of people that did it, I'm sure at least one person would come up with something. You want to do it a little bit more now than the standard way? I'd say Godspeed and you know, feel free to email me as well if you end up being that person. I feel like armed with the contract of carriage, our audience and ChatGPT as our free legal service, which by the way, I'm not recommending anyone use in lieu of a lawyer, but for a circumstance like this could work. (laughs) I'm curious also. So if anyone figures out some (laughs) ideas, feel free to email me. So, okay. So hidden cities. Next one on my list is VPN arbitrage. Yeah. So VPN arbitrage is kind of similar to hidden city, which is like, I've built a bot for this now that automates this. And like, I don't have the patience to do this manually anymore. That's another thing where it's like, listen, it's out there if you're willing to just put the reps in of looking at the things manually, or you're able to build software yourself if you're listening to this. It's a much easier concept and a lot less dynamic and complex than Hidden City. But basically, when I say VPN arbitrage, this means airlines price tickets based on how much they think people will pay. And people that are coming in through an IP address in San Francisco, on average, will probably pay more than people coming in from an IP address in a much poorer part of the world, maybe not in a city. So this doesn't happen often. It actually, as a percentage basis, really rarely happens. But some of the time, 
certain individual airlines will price things more cheaply for certain IP addresses than others. So if you know what those IP addresses are and you know which routes an airline is relevant for, you then just book every single flight using a VPN that goes to that place. So this is something that you could kind of just play around with. Similar to the Montego Bay example, right now, booking a lot of the Middle Eastern airlines out of Sri Lanka, you get the best deals, of course, if you're originating in Sri Lanka. But even if you're just using a VPN to go to Sri Lanka, you can often find pretty great deals on a fraction of Qatar and Emirates and Etihad right now. But there's lots more. They're constantly changing. It's like a -a whack-a-mole thing. The way at least it happened organically for me is, okay, you have this big incentive to find it for your business and you love finding the deals. So you manually just do it until you figure it out. And then you figure out how to kind of make that scale. But I, I don't think the investment makes sense unless you're doing this on behalf of many other people, given how much time it took me and how, again, you're not talking about crazy deals. So with Hidden City, you can get 70, 80% off sometimes. Maybe on average, it's more like 30. VPN, like the best you'll ever get is like 10%. But the nice thing about VPN arbitrage is that it stacks with everything else. So if there's an ARB there and it's valid for this airline and this route, you can then add that to any one of these other things. So if you find an ARB on the airline that you fly most, because let's say you find a great ARB for United or Star Alliance, that's all you fly and you live in like SF, then yeah, like putting the time in to find something that can add 6% off to all your flights, all your family's flights and all your friends' flights, it might make sense to do. And are there groups of airline types where you've seen more or less of this, like the American, US kind of main carriers, Asian carriers, European carriers? I'd say for your audience, the IPs that are most relevant change on a pretty frequent basis. There's not one that's lasted for more than a month for like over a year that at least we've been able to find. But as far as to know if it's worth, right? Like I've got my NordVPN. I could just go cycle through IP addresses all around the world and check. But am I better off doing that for international flights to a particular geography? I wouldn't bother for domestic. Yeah, if you want to go and cycle and you can build yourself a script to have the VPN do that automatically so you don't have to do it yourself, I would recommend doing it when you're going long haul international, especially if you're going from originating in not one of the wealthier parts of the world. So the IPs where this is relevant are ones where the GDP is significantly lower than you know the metropolitan cities of North America and Europe. So don't go Paris, Rome, London, go other places. And funny enough, I'm thinking right now, my EA is based in Sri Lanka. Her arbitrage has actually just turned the VPN off because normally she's running the VPN to search for you know, a US <laughs> IP. I'm like, dude, when you're doing flights, just turn it off. So that's great. But it's hard to do it efficiently because most of these ARBs only exist directly with the airline as well. So just keep that in mind too. So when you're doing this, Google Flights is like 0% of the time, those deals are going to show up. They're going to be special fares that are not necessarily advertised as special fares directly on the airline's website. Oh, that's great. Okay. So that's on VPNs. One thing I've always wondered about is consolidators. Like I remember back in the day, I'd been hearing about, oh, these bulk deals that you can get from people that are really, you know, you can't change your flights or anything. I don't know anything about consolidators other than what I just said. Can you give me a little overview of that industry and whether there's a a way to save there? Yeah, I'd say the TLDR for your listeners, if you're booking travel for yourself, there's not and it's not worth it. So we work with a number of consolidators and we've worked really hard to work with some of the best in the industry and we've fired many and moved on from many in the past. But basically this industry is people going directly without any software technology to an airline and saying, hey, 
we can basically buy these off your books at big amount for less than you think you're going to sell them in advance such that it makes financial sense for you. And then we have the problem of kind of selling more tickets than you think that you could sell at a certain price point. And of course, some of Consolidator's more modern ones are using some degree of software to analyze this, but this is not like an automated market transaction. These are like emails and phone calls and handshakes and lots of vetting and compliance. And then these companies basically exclusively sell to other travel agencies and other travel businesses of different kinds. So I'd say consolidators like an R waterfall at Fly Flat, like consolidators is always after hidden city and miles and points arbitrage. So like the absolute best you're going to get with a consolidator is like 20%, where these other ones can get way better than that. And I'd say our average with the consolidators were maybe getting like seven or eight percent off. So only if you're like regularly going business in first class on a specific airline, a specific route that you know you're going to repeat many times per year, and you think that's going to continue for years, that's kind of the only case it could make sense to onboard. But no consolidator is going to want to work with you because you're going to be too small volume and like not worth the compliance headache for them to onboard you. So if that describes you and you want some advice, you can feel free to email me at ZACH at fly-flat.com. And I'm happy to give you some pointers or point you in the right direction. I don't make any money off of referral deals or whatever with consolidators, but it's not an easy group of folks to work with. It's slow. It's all manual. So there's no like APIs we have to like book these flights. So as a result, it's not a great experience to like see a fare and have to wait many hours and the fare changes. So overall, just like kind of a big headache, probably move on. But if you think you shouldn't move on and you want to ask me some questions, I'm happy to help. So there's not a place to search these online and just be like, I want to go to Japan. Is there a good consolidator fare? No. And the whole thing, the opportunity in travel is always in the opaque fares. And every airline and hotel will always have some contract that says, hey, you cannot advertise below the price that I say it's going to be publicly. So the way people get around this is by having like members clubs at different times. Like, hey, you pay us this membership. Maybe the membership was only 99 cents a month. And now you get access to everything that's much cheaper. So it's the same thing that exists here, which is like if someone was like, hey, I'm going to automate and scale all the consolidators. I'll just be like, okay, no, we don't want that. We only want this because it's not automated. It doesn't always make a lot of sense when you're looking at the logic of the kind of airline revenue management, but that's, I'd say, the way that they approach this. So I think similar to like miles and points, there might be some innovation in this medium long term, but it's going to require a lot of lobbying of the airline executives to be okay with this and go against what's been you know, working for decades. Okay. So another one that I think might end up being similar, but is particularly relevant, especially for me, is around travel agents and whether travel agents can get you a good deal, whether there's any margin there. And I ask this both for listeners who are probably not travel agents, but I actually have an IATA number. So to the extent that I should be using it to get a deal, I'd love to personally know, but I'm, I'm also curious how this works. And we'll shelve all hotels aside and focus just on flights because I feel like I get how that world works. But on the flight side, I've never really found that it was worth trying to go into it. Even at our volume today, Chris, we barely get any good contracts or deals with our, our IATA number. So again, there's a lot to talk about with hotels, but if we're going to shelve that, it's just not worth it to use your own IATA number. That being said using a travel agency that has a lot of volume, or like most travel agencies like FlyFlat, we then piggyback on other people's IATA numbers in kind of opaque ways, that can make a lot of sense. But you going through the hassle of having your own IATA number for airline flights is not going to make sense. And even if you have it because it makes sense for your hotel spend, you're just basically never going to actually get any commission on the flights. 
what would you search for if you were a random person that's like, well, I go to Asia two or three times a year. Should I find a travel agent to try to help me buy these business class tickets to save money? I mean, obviously, this is low in the waterfall because you're probably going to have a higher likelihood of saving on everything else. But yeah, are these just like find a Japan travel agent and they might have these negotiated agreements and contracts to get better deals? Yeah, it depends. And just also depends on kind of what you're expecting from a service perspective and a responsiveness. So basically all travel agencies are really, really slow relative to you doing it yourself. So if that's important to you, that's also something to keep in mind. But yeah, I think it can definitely make sense, especially if you're doing one route routinely where a certain agency has better negotiated contracts there. But in general, like special negotiated contracts with airlines are maybe like one or 2% of what they used to be a decade ago and well under 1% of what they used to be 15 years ago. So the airlines are very much like, we don't want to give travel agents any money and we want to have everyone book directly on our sites. And now we even tell our clients at FlyFlat sometimes that like, hey, listen, we can't do miles or points or hidden city or this for this flight. And Emirates is offering you a special fare that's eight and a half percent lower than the retail price. You should book that yourself. And if you have a Chase Sapphire Reserve or an Amex Platinum, you should then use that. So airlines are more and more certain ones, especially like I'd say American airlines in the States and Emirates are being really good about incentivizing their customer base to, to book directly with them. So the short answer is it depends. And the long answer is if you're flying business class, very regularly to a specific place, it's worth making the investment. But if that doesn't describe you, I'd say it probably doesn't make sense to to look into this. One area that I'll share that I looked into that I was actually surprised wasn't a huge saving, so low on the waterfall, but pretty accessible for business owners is joining the business program of different airlines. And so I can't speak to a lot of them, but because we're in San Francisco and we have a company, I looked at the United for Business program And they have various tiers of what kind of savings you'll get. And they basically make you pick. It was kind of funny. They're like, do you want the one that gives you really, really high discounts on all the incremental stuff like lounge access and economy plus and all this stuff? Or do you just want the one that gives you the maximum discount on flights? And if you choose the maximum discount on flights, you're peaking at about 8%. And that's on the more expensive fares. And then it can be as low as 2 to 4% on the cheaper fares. So again, in the realm of how much you're going to save, I would expect that over the course of the year with all the flights I book, I might save 4%. It doesn't even include some of the super discounted fares. So it's like on half the fares, I might save 4%. So it's not a huge savings. But if you're flying a lot of business class, maybe that's a little higher. If you're buying a lot of full fare tickets, maybe it's higher. But if you run a company, I don't see any reason not to sign up and enroll your employees to potentially save. And there are options for, in some of these programs, the company earns some points and everyone kind of benefits together. So definitely something that I would say to look into. I don't know how much, you know, it doesn't really work for your business because you're not doing this for your employees, but I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Yeah, not much to add. I would just put this in the category like portals, which is you can consistently save a few points using this. And when I say points, I mean finance points, like percentages off the flight, not actual like transferable point currencies. But if you're listening to this and gotten this far in the podcast, I would hope that you've gotten much bigger savings through one of the previous things before going to this. And that, yes, this might even be additive, but it's so small relative to just doing these other bigger things well, that I wouldn't worry about it. But it's really easy to just enroll. So if you're not enrolled, you might as well just do it. 
but I wouldn't expect too much from it. On United, every time I log into my United account, I have one of these and it's like, ooh, the fare went from 220 down to like 216. It's a very small savings, but it's also no work. So the earlier thing people are doing wrong, it's like putting the work in the wrong way. So I'm spending no time on this, but the reward is pretty low. Where just thinking of that United flight, which is a flight to LA, it made me think back to the miles and points thing, which is we didn't really say this. A lot of the tools give this answer, but finding the deals is not just finding the inventory of the deal. It's also finding the program to book through. I've talked about this a lot, but I'll just share my one example, which was I wanted to fly from San Francisco to Burbank. The flights were $300. United had it for 15,000 points, but Avianca Life Miles had it for 6,500 points. And so step one, find the inventory. Step two, see if it's cheaper, but don't waste your time. So in that particular scenario, I looked, I was like 300 bucks. I was like, if it were 100 bucks, I would have just booked it, right? It wasn't even going to be worth my time because what's the best deal I'm going to find? At 300, I was like, look, I'm not looking at other airports. I'm not looking at other times. And I went to point.me and I said, I'm looking for these dates. And I searched and I was like, is there a better way to book this? Yes, I'll book it. No, move on. I think we forgot to flag that it's not just about finding the space. Yeah. A lot of these tools you search for might find you the best saver inventory, but it's also about what program you book through. And that's where some of the tools like point.me do a good job of the instruction of here's how to do that. So let's shelve all that. And let's go to one of the most exciting ones, which we haven't hit yet, because I feel like there's just this mystique around it, which is around buddy passes. Now that we have kids, I'm like, this just isn't a thing. But there was a window of time in life where I was like, how do I get this? I met a friend and he's like, oh, yeah, I got a buddy pass. How does this world work? How hard is it to find the seats, to find the access? How much does it cost? How do you get one? Let me know. This is definitely one of the more gray or the darker shades of gray of the different strategies we've discussed. So a buddy pass is something that you have, no matter if you're like a baggage handler or you're a pilot tenured of 20 years, my understanding is every, at least of the major three American airline carriers offers you this buddy pass of some kind where you can say, hey, my wife, my son, my friend, my quote friend that I met through a guy named Zach now has an ability to get consistently cheaper fares through like a special app that's for basically buddy pass holders and depending on the airline also employees of the airline itself so sometimes these can be very significant and a lot of it depends on the routes you're flying how flexible you are but you need to basically be willing to be super last minute not ever have your flight confirmed until hours in advance sometimes less maximum one day that's like the best you can really ever ask for with most buddy passes of course there's exceptions when you talk about really senior employees at certain airlines, but very much this only makes sense for someone that wants to travel a lot and is like super flexible. So when I think about people that have successfully had buddy passes, basically like all single people in their 20s. So not that you have to be single in your 20s to live this type of lifestyle, but just something to keep in mind if that doesn't describe you and just know that the bar to actually really take advantage of this is high because the market price right now to broker a buddy pass in the five figures. So you have to be saying like, hey, listen, I was going to spend well over that in flights and I'm going to accept the penalty of not having my flights confirmed and what that means for my life and planning. And now it makes sense. So you're really like, okay, I want to basically get tens of thousands of dollars worth of travel. This is when it makes sense to do this. And before I talk about kind of the brokering part of it, you also don't need to like buy something brokered. You could also just try to find someone that works for an airline and 
become really close with them. Obviously, you wouldn't want to do it just for that. And you want to be transparent about like, hey, listen, this is something that's valuable for me. I don't I don't think you should go on LinkedIn and like look at everyone in your city that works for the airline, go to some mixer or something. But like, yeah, you might know people in, that work in this airline industry and you can even say like, hey, listen, like is someone using your buddy pass right now? For the most part, that's not going to really be an option. So there are people, and I'm not one of these brokers, but I just know many of the brokers where we offer to people that kind of ask us, it's not something that we like really advertise. There's brokers that basically their job is knocking on doors, especially in parts of the world or parts of the States where what the person selling the buddy pass could get is pretty material to their lives in terms of cash. Like, hey, listen, are you willing to do this? Can you follow these instructions to basically do a good job pertaining to the airline? This person's actually your friend or your like second cousin. And then they go to other people and say, hey, listen, like we have these buddy passes. They have a reputation and they largely work on a referral basis. So similar with kind of any old school brokerage industry, it's built off trust and built off being able to provide a valuable service, which right now this is like this thing that is given that there's not an ability to have liquidity for good reasons from the perspective of an airline, but both sides of the market want there to be liquidity. So there's always going to be a way that some people try to make that happen. And this is you know, one of the many examples of that that exists in the airline industry. I'm sure it matters depending on the airline, even the tenure of the employee. But are these things hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars? How should someone think about it? I haven't seen a buddy pass go for less than 12 grand for years. And that's like on the low end. So yeah, if you want like a 10-year pilot buddy pass, you're looking at at least like 18 or 20 grand annually. It's a great thing because you can get $300,000 worth of flights for that. But like you have to actually want to take $300,000 worth of flights for that to make sense. Are they in premium cabins or are you just subject to the same upgrade priority as anyone else? Or how does that work? So this is where what buddy pass you buy comes into play. So depending on the airline, depending on the alliance, you could have ones where you have the same priorities as everyone else, or you could have some ones where you're like closer to what a tenured pilot would get. And that's why tenured pilot buddy passes go for significantly more in the market. I've even seen ones you know, that have gone for like as high as like 35 grand, but like you're basically getting a business class seat if it doesn't get sold normally. So that's the benefit of buddy pass like that, where kind of other buddy passes, you're basically never getting confirmed and you're often flying economy. And even if you travel an insane amount, you can't ever use the lounge. So those are kind of the high and low end of the spectrum respectively. I will say I have heard stories of people who have found people directly and gotten buddy passes much less expensive than what you said, which it happens in any opaque market, right? It sounds like the market price, given how much value you can get from them, is over $10,000. But for someone who doesn't want to go to a broker, the value is whatever anyone's willing to pay. And if there aren't a lot of people, maybe you can get it for a few thousand dollars. So I will say it could be worth the effort. I have at least one friend I know who I met recently who got a, I think it was a Hawaiian Airlines or an Alaska Airlines buddy pass for well under $12,000. I want to say it was like much closer to $1,000, but it only happened because they met someone and that person was like, maybe not even like totally aware of the fact that they had something worth much more, or maybe just kind of like a little scared to go into the whole world of like selling it to a broker and having an anonymous person and, and felt better with a friend. And so if there, most people are, if, if you reduce the demand to, I just need a person, you could probably get a great deal. So I'd say, keep your eyes and your ears out there 
for that. And if people are interested in this world, I think you told me when I asked if there was anything for listeners, you said you could help give people access. And then if any, all the Hacks members are interested, we could try to help them get a discount on that. So if that offer still stands, your email is going to be in the show notes. I'm gonna, you're going to get blown up. Definitely. And yeah, I would say, listen, if you feel like you're like a good social networker person, definitely try to do this. And these are done annually. So it's rare that you can actually buy one except like at the end of the year. So you got a lot of time now. We're recording this at the end of January. So like try to get it yourself. And then if you absolutely want it for your 2025 travel, feel free to shoot me a message. But like Chris said, there's definitely ways you can buy it from individuals at much lower than what the market price is. It's not a big market. This is a much, much smaller market than those that are doing miles and points stuff, mainly because you have to be really careful. And like anyone that's doing this, if you're putting someone as your second cousin, like you got to like invent a backstory and you have to have like both sides of the party being okay with this. And this is something where like, you know, a lot of people are not going to be okay with doing that. So when it's not just, hey, someone doesn't want to work with a broker, they also want to lie to their employer and have their job go away. So I think that's probably the bigger reason for a lot of this. And I think that's very reasonable. But if you meet a nice person at, a, at an event and they could help you with it and you can say they're actually your friend and friends are allowed for the buddy pass, that's going to feel very different even if functionally it's the same thing. Okay. That's awesome. I feel like we hit a lot, right? We went through miles and points. We went through the hidden city arbitrage, went through VPNs, we went through consolidators, travel agents, business programs, and then rounded off with these buddy passes. Did I miss anything else? If you're trying to save money on flights, did we hit it all? Credit cards. So you've done a lot of episodes on this, but I think we should probably just hit it briefly at least because it is an important thing. Yeah. I mean, I totally, yeah, I guess we overlooked that, but my general rule of thumb has actually been pretty straightforward. I have a Platinum Amex. I put all my flights on my Platinum Amex. I get 5X points. If you're able to get at least two cents of value there, that's 10% off all flights. You know, I tell people the Platinum card, you got to spend enough, probably 10, 20, 30. I think you send an email like 30 grand to make it worth it. Really depends on how you value all the credits. And there's a whole slew of challenges trying to figure out what makes a Platinum Amex worth it. But it should be pretty easy if that's not it. There are plenty of cards that you'd earn 3x points on flights in almost every card issuer. So I think for a lot of your listeners, the math on the Amex Platinum could make sense. And probably for most, the math on the Chase Sapphire Reserve makes sense. And now you're just adding, depending on how much you value the points, somewhere between probably like a floor of 4.5% to maybe, you know, 10%, a little more than 10% back at the Amex Platinum if you're savvy with using your points. So use those credit cards. They stack well with everything. That's the good news, except for the miles and points. But if you're using miles and points, you're hopefully saving way more than 10% off retail. We forgot one important one here, which is card-linked offers. So I would say pretty consistently with Amex, I haven't actually seen many on others. I will see an offer for spend $300 on Delta, get $75 back. More on the hotel than the flights, but I have certainly seen them on flights. So to the extent you have travel lined up, I think that is one last final thing that I would say, take a look. Sometimes that's the case. And I haven't actually tried this, but I wonder if that would work for gift cards, right? If you've got to spend 300 on Delta, get 100 back, and you don't have a Delta flight right now, could you buy $300 of Delta travel bank credit, gift cards, et cetera, get your 100 and then save it? I don't know why that just came to me, but I think as you were talking about credit cards, 
I was thinking about the Card Pointers app, which a friend of mine, Emmanuel, has built. And it's a fantastic app for managing your cards, making sure you have them in the right category. But the killer feature of the pro version is that they will auto-enroll you in all the card-linked offers. And not just the 100 you see, all of them. And not just all of them, but all of them on all of your cards at the same time. So you can often enroll in the same offer on multiple cards, which you can't do manually. But it turns out if you hit the Amex API and website at the exact same time for all your cards, you can enroll them on multiple cards. So he's been generous enough to give all listeners a great deal at allthehacks.com slash card pointers. But it's a great app that I know I constantly see people getting way more value out of. It's even 50% off if you're an All The Hacks member. So a couple cool member deals to share. But that's one thing, the card linked offers that I've seen, which we didn't cover. Oh, the only other thing that you didn't mention is that you sent me this really cool points optimization plan. I'll link to it in the show notes if people want to take a look at it. It's a product you guys build where you basically fully prepare and help people run their point strategy. So I know you offered a discount to all the Hacks members for, for that as well. But I'll link that if anyone's interested in what something like that would look like. Because I just found it fascinating. If someone made it this far and doesn't feel like they're going to save money on the next flight, maybe you weren't listening or I apologize, we did our jobs poorly. But I feel very <laughs> confident that the average person listening is going to be saving a lot of money. This is awesome. We talked about what you guys do at Fly Flat. We're going to link to the show notes. Allthehacks.com slash Fly Flat is a site where you will generously be giving people a discount if they book flights. Any other places you want to send people before we wrap? Yeah, I think the other place is just for our beta product. I know you have a lot of listeners that are in tech and would love any feedback as well. But yeah, if you go to fly-flat.com slash deals, we're allowing a few of our best mileage inventory to be booked instantly especially if you live in New York, that's live today and we'll have other cities live in the next few months and would love your feedback and any thoughts you have there. But yeah, Chris, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I really, really enjoyed it and I'm excited to see what this resource looks like for just comprehensively how to save money on flights. Yes, I'm excited to go book another flight because I feel like even I have a few tips. So thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) I look forward to hearing what people do and how much they save. Thanks, Chris. That was awesome. I consider myself pretty advanced when it comes to saving money on travel, but I definitely picked up a few tricks and I hope you did too. As always, thank you so much for listening. And I have a new request today for whatever podcast app you're in, and especially if it's Apple Podcasts, since Apple's charts and rankings are the most widely used, could you please go ahead and click that follow or subscribe button? I'm actually going to start releasing a few extra episodes on days other than Wednesday, so I definitely don't want you to miss out on those either. Finally, if you have any feedback, back or want to get in touch or share a question you have for a future mailbag episode, you can email me at podcast at allthehacks.com. That's it for this week. I will see you next week. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. So I want to talk about an amazing resource, the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast, where every week, NerdWallet's in-house experts and financial journalists set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. The nerds have already helped me get smarter about saving money on groceries, avoiding some of the latest financial scams, and boosting my credit score since it's actually been going a little bit up and a little bit more down lately as I've been taking advantage of a few recent credit card offers. They also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life so you'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. 
Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.